everyone welcome to another episode of cricket with an accent this is sakib ali uh staying true to the form of this podcast we don't really do previews and reviews because of you know i believe there are a lot of quality podcasts out there and the shelf life is limited so we try to be a niche shop and today there's a plenty reason to break the silence on the podcast after we spoke to the great mike proctor Uh, India is on the South African shores for the ninth time to play a test series. Can't believe, you know, that's how often these series happen. So we are just here together with Vijayaramagam and our special host, which I'll reveal in a second, to look at uh, what has transpired on these eight previous tours, some sort of a mixed summary, a report card, some controversies that stand out. And to help us do the honors, uh, the podcast just got better today. We have the Neil Manthorpe joining us from South Africa. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. No, it's a pleasure. Me and Vijay are very excited. Vijay, I'm sure you have a Neil memory, so I'll give you a floor for the quick 90 second here. Yeah, thank you, Sakib. I think I'll just start off by saying something about Neil. I don't know whether he remembers. 2012-13, um, South Africans were here. the adelaide oval i was driving somewhere and i was my mum was in the car so we were driving we were listening to the abc radio commentary and neil manthop i think he was with uh, jim maxwell on abc he was asking a very sarcastic question to jim maxwell asking is adelaide very popular for banks is that the the biggest financial center in australia and jim was a little flummoxed and said not I'm, i don't think so then neil said then why are the people of adelaide calling Jack Callis a banker you know there was a bit of a, a word play because the word with the w right the australians call people with the, you know richard hadley was called that so jim immediately responded by saying no 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 that's that's a bit different and neil being neil he just went on and saying oh if if this is not the financial center i just still can't believe that they kept on call calling callis as a banker so he went on and on the funny part is we were listening to it and i was having a bit of a laugh my mum asked who is this commented i've never heard before she's a bit of a cricket nut and i said is neil mantoff from south africa she said this is the way to give it back to the australians you know you know we were new to this country and she wanted to give it back i mean so that's a hilarious thing i've read a lot of neil mantoff but that was one commentary moment i've not heard him a lot on bbc tms because he doesn't come on tv uh, that's on bbc but this abc radio segment from 2012 13 was a good standout for me i don't know whether neil you remember that Oh yes, I remember that very well. And it, there was a chant, I mean, you know, the Aussies complain about the Barmy army, don't they? Um and the way they go on and on and on the same chant repetitively. And uh, this the crowd was singing Callis is a banker uh, for about 45 minutes. Um and uh, I <laughs> Jim of course knew exactly what I, what I was doing, but he didn't quite know how to reverse out of the situation and I said I I mean I think I came on for a second commentary since I said they're still calling Callis a banker. <laughs> uh, too good. Uh all right Neil so usually when a guest of your caliber walks in here we we would still want to do a bit of a biography not that any Neil Wentworth fans who are listening need my small podcast for that intro or that you know record to be set straight what's the equation to the game why are you doing what you've been doing I know you started this career this prolific career back in 1988 so for a new listener here uh g- give a quick relationship that you've had with the game of cricket and you know why it's so dear to you and why you chose this profession well i was born in the uk and uh it's a funny thing actually now when i spend time in the uk 
uh, and I'm on the tube or the underground, uh, the, all the South Africans look and if, I, if I'm speaking on my phone, they go, that's a South African accent. But here in South Africa, I've regarded as still having an English accent. But I was born in the UK. My parents emigrated to South Africa when I was 18 months old. So my introduction to the game was in my formative years here in South Africa. Um, but uh, I then, I think my parents uh, decided to, to move out of South Africa, I think partially to avoid me being conscripted into the South African army. And I did my um, senior schooling in the UK um, and I began in the year of uh, of Botham's Ashes in 1981. So that's when I was really bitten by, by the game. I, I played it. Um, as much as I possibly could, and uh, I was good enough to be in in school first elevens and the like. But I was uh, blessed or cursed, depending on how you look at it now, with uh, what I would call small match temperament. So uh, the smaller the match, uh, the better I was, and the bigger the match, the worse I was. But um, I, I I had a, a an affinity for the game and an understanding of it, and I soon realised, having very briefly flirted with the possibility of pursuing a playing career in the game. I was um, fortunate enough to be sensible enough to know that I was nowhere near good enough to do that. But I, I figured that uh, there may be an opportunity for me to be involved in the game in other ways. And then the way the, the dice rolled, um, I was very lucky to to get my commentary break extremely early. 1988 feels like a very long time ago, but I was a very young man and I'm, and I'm only 56 now. So I have been doing it for... Uh, for, for 32 or 33 years into my 34th year now, I think. And uh, so, so that's it in a, in a nutshell. Um, I've been back in South Africa since 1991. Um, I began my commentary career in the UK, um, commentating on a, on a county service um, doing exclusively county cricket. I followed Warwickshire and Alan Donald was the overseas professional back then in 19. 88, 89. And uh, one day he came to the commentary box because um, he he could barely speak English at that stage. And he, whenever he was homesick, he'd come and talk to me in the commentary box. And uh, in, at the end of 1989, he said, we could be back in international cricket. I said, you are absolutely joking, Alan. I don't believe that's possible for a moment. I mean, uh, you know, apartheid was in its last dying vestiges, but very much gripping the country of South Africa. Um, but he was right. He'd spoken to Ali Bacha because at that stage, Alan Donald was thinking about qualifying for England. And Ali Bacha, uh, who was head of the United Cricket Board at that stage, uh, said to to Alan Donald, um, you, you know, uh, you may not believe this, but I know I'm in the thick of negotiations. We could be back in international cricket within 18 months. And in fact, it was less than that. Um, and South Africa were playing in uh, the 91-92 World Cup in Australia. So um, that's a little bit more than a potted history, but that'll do. No, definitely a lot of rich context and uh, would like to, you know, bring you back on your journey uh, because I'm sure along this, a lot of chapters unfolded. And today we're just going to look through the lens of a touring Indian team. And Vijay is going to... you know, serve a dual role. He may ask a question, but he's also, as a fellow panelist, of course, you are the main guest, and he'll uh, keep me honest by reinforcing how, you know, some of the Indian recollections are for some of the topics that we have in store. So before, you know, we get into the Mike Dennis and, you know, the t- 2001 affair, I want to ask you something with, that I've talked to uh, Vijay, who lives in Australia now. 
India is fair to say they are the Beatles of cricket right now. You know, the money is there. The team is world class. So whenever they come to South African shows, are they generating the same amount of excitement? Maybe what they used to do one or are they the biggest draw? Maybe or is it still South Africa, Australia, the rivalry most folks get up to when it comes to test matches, Neil? Um, well, the big three um, in in almost equal measure, I would say. The relationship between the South African team and the touring Indian team has changed markedly. I know you're going to kick off in 2001, but um, I, I, I'd just like to kick off with 1992 and the Friendship Tour. That was the first time India came to South Africa, and it was test cricket of a completely different era. I mean, I think back now and uh, and how different test cricket was. I know that baseball has supposedly changed the five-day game, but my goodness, in those days, if you wanted to shut down a test match, it was as easy as flicking a light switch. You know, I, I mean, I, I remember in you know, India, amazingly, India used to play seven specialist batsmen in that series. We had Virenda Sewag coming in at number seven towards the end of the series. But um, like the fourth test match, so the first two were, by today's standards, excruciatingly dull draws in Durban and, and at the Wanderers in Johannesburg. And then South Africa, thanks to Alan Donald's 12 wickets, managed to win in Port Elizabeth. And then they just shut it down because the series, that is, in the fourth test match at Newlands in Cape Town, because that's that's all they knew. They only had one player who'd ever played test cricket before. That was Captain Kepler-Vessels, who played for Australia, of course. And um, on that fifth day, I mean, it had been a really arduous tour, <laughs> even for those of us who were incredibly excited to be watching Test Cricket for the first time. But it had been really hard. I mean, we'd had sessions, many sessions, in which, you know, we had 30 or 40 runs scored. And then on the fifth day at Newlands, South Africa scored 128 runs in the entire fifth day because... That's what you did. That's the way Test cricket worked. They thought because they'd read their Wisdom magazines in the 1980s, and they just blocked it for an entire day. Um, and it was called the Friendship Tour, which is ironic because it really wasn't very friendly um, at times. And remember, Jonty Rhodes ran Sachin Tendulkar out in the very first Test match in Durban, um, first time that it, a decision was ever referred to the third umpire. But um, yeah, uh, um, it. it uh, full of full of incident and the relationship that i was referring to at the beginning there is that first test match was in durban and durban is the biggest indian diaspora outside of the asian subcontinent and 90 you may think i'm exaggerating 90 over 90 percent of the crowd were supporting india um, mm. and the south african players were very very bleak about that <laughs> and it's taken it's taken 20 years, 25 years, probably quarter of a century for South African crowds to now majority support the home team as opposed to the touring Indian teams. No, interesting. So, yeah. So, Sakip, Sakip, sorry, do you, do you mind if I say something about what? Absolutely. Means? It's a very interesting one because the Newlands test he's talking about, there was an editorial written because we got, I lived in India, we used to get. Uh, Doodarshan, the India's national broadcaster, the the equivalent of the SABC. We used to get Test match highlights, and we got those seven one days live, uh, first time from South Africa. 
I remember uh, to give to give a bit of a context. That was a New Year's test, the fourth test match. At the same time, the West Indies were playing a test match at the SCG when Brian Lara scored the two hundred and seventy-seven along with Richie Richardson. Right. The reason I'm bringing it up is as Neil said, there was a dull, boring game, and South Africans were trying to shut it down. I think Kepler Vessels gave a reason, saying that, look, we are still a fledgling, evolving side. We still are finding a feat at Test cricket, so they wanted to be a fail-safe having won at St. George's Park in Port Elizabeth. The thing was, uh, there was a partnership where even Sachin Tendulkar wasn't scoring that quickly, and he was asked to bat at number five. I think that was a bit of a, a problem in the Indian team. And uh, Manoj Prabhaka played a very, very uh, slow innings along with Sanjay Manjreka. And I think even the, the reporters wrote saying that you could see, uh, you know, see behind the, uh, the the pavilion and you could see kids playing at the nets or somewhere. That was more entertaining than the cricket at the middle. The Hindu, the venerable Hindu, the Indian newspaper, wrote an editorial saying this is not the way India 0-1 being down. They should be forcing the pace and trying to win a game rather than letting South Africa dictate the terms, a new entrance to the game. While a young West Indies side led by Richie Richardson and Brian Lara showed how you could take on the Australians at the SCG when Lara scored the 277. So it's not very often you get an editorial written for a sporting contest, but that was written given the the dire game that was getting played out at the Newlands. Um, and in fact, I remember like you know, after Neil talked about, India had a big target to chase for 14 out overs. Sunil Gavaskar said something in the commentary when Ajay Jaraja hit the boundary, a test match run and it's a test match run. So... Neil is right. There's a very, a kind of a very different kind of a, a, an era in which that series was played. Uh, yeah, I mean, so that's something just want to call it out, uh, Sakib, in addition to what uh, Neil said. I mean, we could talk about it in detail about 92. There are other incidents I could talk about. No, we'll de- we definitely get there. I'm tempted to get there now, but I think uh, sticking to a bit of a script because I think uh, <laughs> uh, I think the Mike Dennis affair uh, was something I want Neil's and your views. So, what 22 years ago, uh, what unfolded there, you know, Tendulkar is going to be part of this conversation, looks like, uh, you know, he, he was a stellar batsman, his rivalry with Stain and Donald, but he's also in the center of things for the Mike Dennis affair. So, Neil, I'm sure you covered it, you wrote about it, you've spoken about it. So let's reintroduce that topic, you know. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to not acknowledge what has gone under since, but let's see if the day is right after the event. What do you remember when that happened uh, in the Port Elizabeth Test match? Well, it was a fiery game, um, and uh, you know there was uh, South Africa had uh, had been back in international cricket for, for just just around ten years, and they'd learned uh, to use their mouths, and uh, and and they and the previous series, um, South Africa had completely bullied India four years earlier, um, and uh, in the first Test match in Durban on a typical green mamba pitch. They bowled India out for 166. Alan Donald took 540 and 4 for 14. Um, and then in the second Test match, South Africa made 529. I mean, it was full of wonderful cricket. It was also when Sachin Tendulkar made that uh, extraordinary 169 at Newlands. Anyway, South Africa um, were had now have been convinced themselves that that the Indian team and teams from the subcontinent um, could be very easily bullied on South African soil and. I think it was true. Uh, of course, it was Saurav Ganguly who, who changed that that mindset. Anyway, roll on four year, five years later, and South Africa thought uh, that they they could do the same again and and bully the Indians um, who would quickly um, 
um, subside uh, and they would win the series easily. Um, so, so there was plenty said, and um, Ganguly was in that team, of course, and uh, he he started to to exchange, not just uh, meekly accede to to the bullying South Africans. Anyway, uh, Mike Dennis was a very very heavy handed match referee, and it seemed wholly inappropriate at the time. Now it seems uh, even even more um, hopelessly um, heavy-handed, but um, he issued sanctions or warnings and fines against six Indian players, including um, a sanction. Uh, that's my um, small dog. I hope you don't mind. Uh, he's joining in the conversation, uh, but um, he, including a sanction to Sachin Tendulkar for ball tampering. Um, and he hit Ganguly with a fine uh, for 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 sledging and, and inappropriate behaviour, but six sanctions in total, and um, the Indian team was just in in complete shock, and uh, and and they said that they were not prepared to play the third Test match in Centurion um, with Mike Dennis as match referee. Now, as you said, it was over twenty years ago, so there was. There was still a, a semblance um, of of pretense amongst the ICC that they actually ran the game rather than the BCCI. I mean, if, if that, that happened now, I think the ICC would probably say to the Indian team or the BCCI, "Sure, okay, uh, no problem. Uh, who, who would you like uh, as match referee?" But back then, um, they, they said, "No, he's an ICC appointed match official. He is the match referee. He will oversee the third Test match," and India refused to play it as an official test match. And so they played it without Mike Dennis's match referee. And it was an unofficial test match. Um, one of those strange quirks of statistical history. Um, you won't find the scorecard very easily. You have to go and dig for it. But um, Sean Pollock uh, scored 100. Um, and uh, and it was a great irony because, you know, at that stage of his career, he was regarded as a full-on, front, full-on all-round, a genuine all-rounder like Jacques Callis. And everyone, including me, said, you know, he really should have scored 100 by now. And, of course, he scored his, his 100 in the unofficial test match. But it was, it was truly, truly astonishing uh, and bizarre. Uh, and we, we felt that um, uh, we, we felt the, the cricket world shudder and shake as if an earthquake had, had hit it we felt that uh, this you know test match losing its official status was um, one of the great if controversial moments in cricket history of course it was it was quite quickly forgotten and and we moved on to plenty more scandals after that one yeah, so Vijay, I'm sure you're ready to go. So Malcolm Speed also should be mentioned because mentioned, right? Because he kind of backed Mike Dennis and the ICC showed some resistance, but in the end, Indian and South African boards went on uh with different set of referees. So referee and umpires. So what do you recall from the Indian uh uh media channels? Because I know Ravi Shastri wasn't happy that Mike Dennis didn't, you know, give his piece to the press. He s- decided to stick by the ICC code. And Sunil Gavaskar, Harshabog, there were a lot of voices who had some sort of a mixed reaction, especially with Tendulkar's name in there. Uh, what, do you, what do you recall of that that period, Vijay? So, Sakib, uh, so I think good, good, good summary from Neil. I think what I'd like to call out is the Indian broadcasting or the 
cable TV or satellite TV was really, really flourishing by 2001 when India went to South Africa for that uh, Port Elizabeth test match. Uh, the reason I'm saying that is uh, to give a bit of a context when India went to South Africa in 2001, sorry, 92, 93, it was still on India State Broadcaster. The test matches were not live. We got SABC's commentary pretty much. There was no commentator sent. For 96, 97, India happened to send some commentators, but they were like, you know, they were still fledgling. Ravi Shastri was not there. He was touring and stuff. By 2001, to India had gone to Australia. And by then, ESPN star had become this big uh, box office in India. Pre-match shows, post-match shows. Harsha Bogle having established himself. Sunil Gavaskar, Ravi Shastri, that Navjot Sidhu was a very prominent commentator. So Alan Wilkins, uh, another Welshman, he was a very prominent. So India had this established commentary and India would just get the pictures from SABC, but they would use your own commentator. So what we got back in India was the Indian version. So to give a bit of a context, when this incident happened, right, when this was getting played out, it was a pretty innocuous thing when Jack Callis happened to, uh, you know, play Harbhajan Singh and Virendra Sehwag. I think he was playing only his second test match because he made his debut uh, in the previous test at Bloemfontein. Um, it was called Goodyear Park back then, and uh, this was St. George's Park. He he took a catch of what he thought was from the boot, and he ran towards the umpire. And I think when the umpire said no, he said something, which we saw. I think the, the problem, the context, Sakib, I know we discussed with Mike Proctor in the last podcast about how the cultural differences start to uh, show up. One thing, you know, we all knew that a Warner and McGraw were stern appealers, but they used to go bang on, but they used to appeal uh, vociferously, like Dennis Lilly used to do or Richard Hadley used to do, but, but it was very different. But running towards an umpire was considered too aggressive, and that was something... Uh, I think that's where Mike Dennis took offense, and I'll come to that. Right now, it's more like I'm talking from after the event. Right back then, we were all young, and we were thinking why this injustice was done to the Indian team, kind of thing. I think the the real problem is when Mike Dennis took it, and then uh, he looked at the rest of the players, and he pretty much said, uh, "Virendra Sehwag charged towards the umpire, Harbhajan Singh overpeeled Deep Das Gupta, who used to be a good, um, you know, he was a keeper, and then Shivshinder Das, who was the a good forward shot like fielder. They were all." indulging in excessive peeling. I think the next thing that really infuriated India was Saurav Ganguly was not able to control his set of players. I think that was the suspended ban. And then Tendulkar was moving the, seaming the ball a fair bit or swinging the ball a fair bit. It was, you know, it was a bit of a, a Port Elizabeth, bit of an on and off test match in, the, in terms of rain. You know, there were rain interruptions, ball was getting wet. So Tendulkar's argument was the ball, the seam was getting uh, you know, grass step or wet, and he was cleaning the grass because grass was coming off from a soft outfield. That was his argument, but he didn't do it in front of the umpire. That was the allegation. And uh, I think Russell Tiffin was the umpire who 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 made the initial complaint, uh, along with Ian Howell, if I'm right. So the point was what we got, when we got to know there was something brewing, Harsha Bogle, Navjot Sidhu, and they were all discussing in that evening post-match game. You know, there was a bit of a passion coming out. And then we all know how Ravi Shastri uh, went and took on uh, Mike Dennis in the, in the in the in the in the press meeting. But I think the real problem was Malcolm Speed and Gerald Majola, who is the uh, uh, who is SABC or whatever is called United Cricket Board, a South African president. They kind of made Mike Dennis follow the rules and protocols by not allowing him to speak anything, which meant. He was a mute spectator at the press conference. That's why Ravi Shastri was able to go and say, I know how you look, but uh, if you don't speak, why why bother? But as as Neil rightly said, 
uh, doesn't matter what ICC thought, what Malcolm Speed thought, it was the right process. Indian players felt infuriated. Uh, it went to the Indian Parliament. Indian Parliament was in progress. They said Indian players cannot be vilified in a friendly South Africa. Someone brought Mahatma Gandhi. Someone brought uh, <laughs> Nelson Mandela. And you know, the politicians are politicians. They can whip up the frenzy and passion. Uh, you know, is our Indian team vilified in the land of Nelson Mandela? You know, it's a sort of vitriolic speeches that were brought out. But I think ICC stood its ground. Again, seven years later, India was a a different beast at the SCG when the monkey gate happened. Monkey gate happened. Monkey gate happened. I should say happened. And uh, Mike Proctor faced a different kind of music. Whereas here, Mike Dennis had a slightly different cushion to protect himself. Now, since they didn't change the match referee, and it, as I said, it was an unofficial test match. The interesting aspect is we never felt. I mean, that Centurion pitch did a lot. The ball was darting around, and uh, but it, we never felt it was a. Uh, a test match with the proper test match intensity. The interesting aspects are England were already in India. So this Virendra Sevak suspension, if it was because uh, the Centurion was considered uh, 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 an unofficial test match, he had to serve his suspension at the Mohali test, which was the first test between India and England. Guess what? He was only a two test veteran. So India had to, he had to face a suspension. So as an aftermath, he faced uh, the suspension. He didn't play in the Mohali test. He came back for the, the rest of the series against England. So he faced a punishment, but Tendulkar and others um, will let go off. And the, you know, the whole suspended punishment of Saurav Ganguly and others were watered down because I, th- I thought like, you know, Mike Dennis uh, punishment went a bit overboard or at least ICC thought so. But uh, there was a lot of furor in India. Uh, they burnt what we call it as effigies, which is like you know they 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 built a built up a bit of a cutout picture of Mike Dennis in papers, you know, with the paper and uh, cardboards, and they burnt them. There were protests. People made a lot of noises, a lot of whipped up hysteria. I would say even you know I was quite young back then, and I thought like it was a bit of an injustice. And uh, the good thing is Harsha Bogle, someone uh, who was back then was a reasonably sensible commenter. Now he's a little more more of a BCCI spokesperson, I would argue. Back then, Harsha Bogle, I think by the time the England series started, he made a very interesting statement saying, in hindsight, some of us have overreacted from the media houses. Like, I think that's a, probably the first sign, Sakib, where commentary media is supposed to be neutral and you're supposed to report things versus taking the side of your side, nationalistic view. I know Bodyline happened in 32, 33, there was a different story. Uh, but this is probably the, the first sign of nationalism and patriotism coming into cricket uh, broadcasting to make it feel that your side being wronged, especially on overseas soil. That was the first display of that Indian political might, uh, sporting might, as well as some sort of, I would argue, in a bit jingoistic thing, which someone like Katsha is a genuine gentleman he kind of regretted a bit later but i don't think that happened for monkey Gate. that's my overall recollection sakib uh this lot of lot of food for thought so uh, neil a quick thing i know you said the players got along fine and of course the big events kind of happened tendulkar's 200 test which we'll be discussing but if you look back now in hindsight do you think there was like some sort of a you know, foreshadowing, if it's a film, like what BCCI role is going to be in the game, because they started to flex their muscle. And then 2008 onwards, uh, the rest is history. Yeah, uh, definitely. You know, uh, it's 
very, very easy to see in hindsight that that was a massive turning point for the Indian team and for the culture of uh, of the Indian team, especially. Um, but even at the time, I must be completely honest, it felt like the Indian team was having the entire match referees book thrown at it. And, uh, and, and it was unprecedented. And, you know, you just couldn't help the feeling that if it had been South Africa or, or England or Australia uh, behaving in that effervescent, over-enthusiastic way, uh, then then the match referee might have said, come on, chaps, you know, just rein it in a bit. You know, uh, this is not not a good look. But uh, with the Indian team, he just threw the book at at them. And it, it seemed wholly inappropriate um, at, at the time. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I think it was. I mean, there are probably dozens of, of turning points, but that was one that I witnessed firsthand. And I have to say, I've just been reminded of uh, that of that preposterous situation where Mike Dennis was wheeled into a press conference and told he couldn't say anything. <laughs> I remember it was one of the first times where where I I asked him a couple of questions and uh, he just did his impression of a waxwork dummy, and <laughs> uh, and I said I just remember saying almost as an aside or to those around me. Well, this is the most ridiculous situation, isn't it? Um, and uh, and and of course he he couldn't say anything, um, but there was a kind of whimsical smile at the corners of his of his mouth. It was absolutely uh, ridiculous. And um, yeah, uh, look, um, India were pushing hard for 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 a, for a, a victory um, to square the series, and they they may have gone a bit over the top with uh, the appealing. It was certainly. Um, carried on for a long time but I mean you know today they they they'd have got one disciplinary point <laughs> smack on the back of the hand yeah times have changed like we just said so uh, let, let's uh, look at some of the cricket that's been played especially from the batting point of view uh, and Neil you, you've covered many a series so Tendulkar, Donald, Tendulkar, Stain uh, are these uh, some of the battles that you know uh, uh, captured your imagination as a writer, what you saw out there, uh, and which one, you know, stands the test of time uh, from your recollection point? Well, Sachin had a, or has an incredible record in South Africa. I mean, not only did he play here for two decades, uh, but, um, you know, he scored, he, he scored some fabulous, fabulous um, innings. I just mentioned the 169 that he scored um, at Newlands when he and Muhammad Azaruddin added 170 in a session between lunch and tea, um, that that was really um, astonishing uh, batting. But but many times, I mean, in in 2011 as well, um, Sachin scored 100 in the first test match um, in Centurion in the second innings. Uh, and uh, one of the most one-sided test matches in, in all of the times that India have been to South Africa, um, and yet in the second innings he made 111 and uh, brilliant, brilliant runs. Uh, and then in the deciding test match of that series, it was 1-1 going into the third test at uh, Newlands again and uh, in 2011. And um, he and Jacques Callis traded hundreds. Um, Callis then scored another one in the second innings. Uh, the match eventually finished as a draw. Um, but... Um, 
Yeah, uh, two moments stand out. Alan Donald bowling Sachin Tendulkar with the delivery he still describes today as the best of his test career. A big, booming 148-kilometre-an-hour in-swinger, which, uh, which hit the top of Tendulkar's middle stump. And then I also remember uh, very clearly Dale Steyn, <laughs> another time when when Sachin was just so entrenched that uh, Dale Steyn <laughs> pushed his mid-on and mid-off back. You may have heard this anecdotally. Um uh, uh, to give him to give him a single, <laughs> he just bowled full and straight with mid on and mid off. I remember sitting in the comedy box thinking, he's just moved mid on and mid off into no man's land. Like we all know that you don't have someone halfway back, and it was only afterwards that I realised what was happening. And Stain confessed it as well. He bowled full and straight with mid on and mid off deep. He said to Graham Smith, his captain at the time, "I'll get the other nine. <laughs> just leave him not out." Hi, Vijay. So you can, you know, weigh in with your memories of the Tendulkar rivalry with uh, Donald and Stain and even the other quicks in South Africa. And yeah, look, I think... Uh, yeah, sure. Sure, Sakib. Um, I think, like, I would like to start from 92 93 because uh, Tendulkar had gone to Australia in 91-92. He had scored those hundreds both at the SCG and at the WACA. I mean, back then, scoring 100 at the WACA against a four-pronged four Australian attack was never easy. So he had this expectation. He was still only, what, uh, 19 when he went to South Africa in 92-93. Um, so the the Wanderers 100, which a lot of many people, not many people talk about, 92-93 uh, was a brilliant 100 because back then uh, the pitch at Haifel was quite quick and Donald at 92 in 1992-93 was at his peak. And I think, uh, as I said to in the other part, that's the first time I've heard the word Eddie Barlow because when Tendulkar played one of the shots of, from Donald over the slips to the third man, uh, Trevor Quirk said on TV on SABC, which we got it on Doodajan, saying that's an Eddie Barlow shot. And back then we didn't have an internet to go even look up what it was. Uh, so he played some good cut shots and it was a, quite a brilliant innings. I think the reason why I talk about it for almost 40 minutes, um, I think on day three, uh, when he had to get 100, he was scoreless for almost 40 odd minutes before he scored the 100. So for a, for a young 19 year old, uh, to get the 100 at the Wanderers was considered peak because he'd scored one at Old Trafford and then the Wacker and now at the Wanderers, which is the Bull Ring. They call it the Bull Ring, right? The new Wanderers. So it was a big moment and against Donald. Uh, but I think the other aspect, as, uh, um, as uh, Neil talked about, there was a bit of a controversy even on the day one of the test match when John T. Rhodes was what we thought was clearly run out, but umpire Steve Buckner refused to refer to the third umpire because he didn't believe in using technology. While Tendulkar, uh, Liebenberg was the other umpire, I guess. Was it Liebenberg? Or I think he, I'm mixing up the name. He was only referred to the first test and Tendulkar was run out for the first time by a third umpire at Kingsmead. Anyway, um, moving on. Uh, so Tendulkar established himself quite well at the uh, thing. And then everyone knows about the 96-97, about that uh, Newlands 100. But by, in four years' time in India went... Uh, Neil was right about the bullying from the South Africans, but by then Donald was a very experienced operator. Probably didn't have the pace that he had in 92-93, but Sean Pollock was a very able operator. I mean, a lot of people who watched Sean Pollock later on would say, ah, oh, he was a bit of a, you know, a McGraw-like, you know, hit the deck kind of bowler. No, he was he used to get sharp bounce and he was quite quick back then in 96-97. So that Newlands innings of 169 was quite a spectacular 
uh, innings, I would say. And also, uh, Donald still believes as um, uh, uh, in the in the Kingsmead Test match, uh, Tendulkar would score two boundaries of Donald, and then he would both a big indipper to knock his middle stump off. And and Donald still believes that's the best ever delivery he's ever bowled in in his life, along with the one he used against Atherton uh, the year before. So those were the memories. But I think the other interesting aspect, Tendulkar when he scored those two hundreds in South Africa, both at the Wanderers in 92-93 and at 96-97, Nelson Mandela was at the ground. Uh, that's another, either it's coincidence or a spectacular thing, we could say whatever we want. Especially at Newlands, the game was live, and he had come for the tea, uh, between, uh, right after the tea or lunch. So Gerald de Kock, I think the SABC uh, announcer, he said, enjoy Tendulkar, enjoy Azruddin, and he'll introduce Mandela, and then that's big 140-odd runs scored between lunch and tea. So Mandela had the best seat in the house to enjoy the moments of that partnership. So that's a bit of a history. Um, but I think the other interesting aspect was Tendulkar, by the time he went to South Africa in 2001-2, South African pace attack wasn't that threatening because Donald was a bit of a spent force and Ingham wasn't doing that well. But Intini was there, uh, you know, um, hey, I mean, uh, Nanty Hayward was there, but he scored a brilliant uh, uh, Bloemfontein 155 where a lot of people remember the way he played those uppercuts and, you know, played a, it was a good, good track with a good bounce. Um, uh, he scored runs. But I think uh, 06 07 was a poor tour because he was recovering from tennis elbow and stuff, and he scored some runs, uh, but he never got a hundred. There's one series he missed out, um, but then he had a very good 10 11. And uh, as uh, Neil talked about, that Newlands uh, confrontation between Stain and uh, Tendulkar, that third morning, the cloudy sky ball was seeming around. He bowled six consecutive overs to Tendulkar, the right hander, while Gautam Gambhir was batting at the other end and Mone Mokal bowled five or six overs to him. And Tendulkar got beaten up, but he was still able to, you know, survive. And, you know, it was a great theatrical watching and I think, uh, you know, some spectacular thing. I think I would still argue Mahendra Singh Dhoni's defensive captaincy cost India because, you know, Jack Callis was allowed some easy runs. I know it was a missed opportunity, but it was a very good South African side. Beating South Africa at Newlands has always been a holy grail for Indian cricket. It's not an easy ground for the visitors win. So overall, Sakib, there's some brilliant um, uh, testings from Tendulkar over the years. And you could say Donald at his peak to Stain at his peak, he had, he had done the full circle in South African conditions and he was a, a pretty good player in those conditions, one would argue. So Neil, uh, we covered our Tendulkar from both of you. Uh, if you were to, you know, call upon a memory bank, what how Indians have fared, any of this knockout any of the standout knocks like centuries by other Indian or, or even Tendulkar, the ones we haven't mentioned, what comes to mind? Uh, I've, um, I've, I've made too many notes. I'm just uh, reminding myself of, uh, of all the, the wonderful batting performances and bowling performances, actually. Um, Zahir Khan, I'd like to mention him and um, Srisanth as well. Uh, they made huge impacts. You know, um, we mustn't forget, I don't think, that um, India have had, I mean, that they're about to come for their ninth series, if we can call two chess matches a series. But they've had opportunities. They, they've had really good chances uh, to win. And twice they've won the first match of, uh, of a two-match series. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the one 
Shreesanth played played a huge role in that in 06-07 in the first test match of the Wanderers. You may recall that he took five for 40 and bowled South Africa out for 84 in the first innings. And also, um, Saurav Ganguly actually had a habit of of scoring really important runs, not big hundreds, but um, South Africa have had a tendency over the years to, to roll the dice a little bit and to leave a little bit of extra grass on the pitch because they had this history of, of knocking India over and Indian Indians not being able to play particularly well on, on fast, bouncy, well-grassed pitches. And Ganguly had a, a habit of... Um, he infuriated the South Africans because you know it looked like he was backing away outside leg stump and 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 lashing the ball down towards third man and very often over third man. But he knew exactly what he was doing, to my mind. And um, he, he he scored some really really gutsy runs. And I I don't know whether my perception may be wrong, but I don't know that uh, Ganguly is necessarily remembered. Uh, for his guts and, and determination. Um, that was probably slightly beneath his status. Uh, but he showed plenty of it in South Africa. And, um, you know, body blows uh, to to his, his arms and, and chest. And um, so, yeah, Sri Santh comes comes to mind. Um, Saurav Ganguly. Uh, I, I, and, and it's interesting you mentioned MS Dhoni's defensive captaincy. I mean, um, yeah, yeah. In many of these test matches, they had this sort of old-fashioned view that you, you needed the extra batsman. If you're going to South Africa, you needed the extra batsman. So they played seven specialist batsmen with MS batting at eight in, in a couple of test matches, which left an awful lot of work to do for the for the frontline bowlers. And Venkatesh Prasad, Javagod Srinath, Zahir Khan, over the years, um, they've all enjoyed their time and have taken wickets. Unfortunately, um, the batsman didn't quite score enough runs at the right time. Many, many uh, memories, um, but T- Tendulkar would be very much at the top of that list, I think. I mean, he really enjoyed touring South Africa. And I think he rose, uh, the, the, the more the d- more difficult it was, and in, in the last couple of series as well, Virat Kohli uh, did the same thing. Um, six years ago, um, Kohli scored 153 on a really difficult pitch at uh, Supersport Park in Centurion. So there you go. Sachin Tendulkar, top of the list. Absolutely. Sorry, one thing I would like to add, if I may. Uh, Neil is right about India not judging the pitches and all. Even 2001 Port Elizabeth, if you look at it, it was a pretty much a, a green wicket and there was a bit of a cloud cover. India decided to go with two spinners because the vice-captain Rahul Dravid and Saurav Ganguly thought they needed to play both Anil Kumble and Harbhajan Singh. It was a cloudy morning. It was moist air. They had to win and insert South Africa in with two spinners. And I still remember Navjot Sidhu saying on TV, you know, you could have four seamers on that wicket. You're having two spinners. There is enough grass to feed an entire herd of buffaloes. What the hell are you doing? So Neil is right about the fact that Indian tactics in South Africa were either defensive or quite inept, not knowing what to do. So, And the other problem is South Africa was unique because you had the four four-person, uh, four-prong pace attack, short of the length, constantly bowling that short of the length with seam movement was not an easy place. Even in Australia, you don't get seam movement. So South Africa, in my opinion, Saki, was the hardest place for, to tour for subcontinent teams. And the other point, last point is, he's right. 96-97, when India went to Kingsmead, it was a green member. The ball was bouncing like anything. Next year, Pakistan went to Kingsmead. 
it was a, a good flat wicket because Ed Shah, Bakhtar, Wazim Akram and other bowlers and Mushtaq Ahmed took wickets and Pakistan won. So it, India had, South Africa could bully India with some green tops, green wickets, which they couldn't do to maybe an Australia or a Pakistan and other sites which better seam attacks. That was another problem India always faced in the early tours of South Africa. No, fair points. And uh, so Vijay, uh, we covered a lot of batting. So I would, I'm going to narrow your question down with a specific, right? So Tendulkar 169 was also aided by Azruddin's 115, I believe. So what do you remember of that knock? And then the other name I'm going to throw in there is Raul Dravid. When we talk about these great knocks, why is his name not coming up? Uh, I'll talk about Raul Dravid to begin with. Um, to be honest, Raul Dravid's record in South Africa wasn't special. Of course, you would argue that in the uh, initial test series, he scored that uh, 148 at Wanderers and an 81 in the second innings. And I watched it live pretty much ball by ball. But Saki, there's one context back then. South Africa had taken a 2-0 lead. And even Hansi Cronier had admitted that they just took a little bit of the uh, foot of the pedal. Because back then, there was something called, you know, what do we call it as? Uh, dead rubbers, right? You tend to take up... I mean, even Mark Taylor's team used to suffer a lot, right? So, to his credit, as a young player, Raul Dravid scored a brilliant uh, 100. He played a very good... Some pulls pulls and hook shots um, in that series for 148-81. But after that, his record wasn't great. But he saved that test match along with Deep Das Gupta uh, at Port Elizabeth. But after that, he had two poor tours. So, overall, if you look at Raul Dravid, South Africa was not his happy hunting ground, Um uh, in, in many ways. So, unfortunately, that was one thing that he didn't do that well, despite having toured there in 96, 97, 2001, 2, 6, 7, and 10. Four. He had four tours, but he's got only 100 to show for that too, I would say, was a dead rubber and a brilliant match-saving innings at Port Elizabeth. Now, if you talk about um, some of the other great innings, um, Azaruddin, you know, as I said, by then, Azar had developed the two-eyed stance, and he was playing shots. I mean, you had to go back to the series in India where he scored the brilliant 100 against Klunz, I mean, uh, Klusner and Co. where he hit Klusner for five boundaries at the Eden Gardens. He started to play more strokes. In that series, if you look at in 96-97, South Africans were trying to bowl wide of the fourth stump to Tendulkar to deny him runs while they tried to make Azza play more shots. But he was play, taking them on, playing some shots, and uh, uh, hit came off very well uh, at Newlands. But again, he couldn't convert the other starts. Um, Vivis Lakshman, I would argue, the 30-odd he scored at Bloemfontein was one of the very best innings, one of the best innings, less than 50, but he got out at the, the wrong time. The other innings, let's not forget Praveen Amre. Praveen Amre scored a, a magnificent debut 100 at Kingsmead. We haven't mentioned one name. We talked about Donald. We talked about there was a guy called Brett Schulz. Unfortunately, he was injured, but back then when India faced him, it was rapid. Both He played it both at uh, Kingsmead and uh, Wanderers and even at in Port Elizabeth. And I watched a little bit of him in Sri Lanka. He did very well. So back then, as a left-arm quick, he was really quick uh, along with Donald and they had Merrick Pringle and even McMillan was a good bowler. So let's not forget somebody like, uh, there was a name called Brett Schultz, which a lot of young younger viewers might not listen. I mean, might not have heard of his name. But he was a, an excellent talent as well, uh, Saki. But then again, as I said, Virat Kohli has got some quite a br brilliant hundreds, uh, both in 13-14 as well as in 17-18. Uh, uh, and then, you know, Rashad Pant scored a brilliant 100. I mean, we're coming to the very recent series, but this is more like a, the memory, right? So, and also, um, even Wasim Jafar has scored a brilliant 100 in the 06-07 Newlands. That was it. Uh, Pujara, yeah. Pujara has also scored a, a brilliant inning. So, yeah, we can come to some of the latter innings. But uh, in the 90s, it was a bit of a struggle. The South African 
conditions weren't easy uh, and the indian seamers never got it easy venkatesh prasad really got it well at uh, kings mead he took 10 wickets but he never had the third seamer we had david johnson as a third seamer who was not good enough at that test level so that was a problem as well and, and again are... shri shant yeah, is a good example as well um, as as uh, neil talked about because the seam position was quite a brilliant thing as well anyway i want to talk about a potch story i'll come to it later because it's a little controversy but we can talk about these best spells and best sure. efforts first So Neil, I don't know in the ninety-two, ninety-three series, I remember a quote from Donald. I I might not recite it, uh, your paraphrase it correctly, but I think this this is more in praise of Ravi Shastri, who was opening the innings. He wasn't scoring loads of runs, but Donald said something. He, along with Tendulkar, besides Tendulkar, is the only other guy who's not in a hurry to be on the non-strikers end when I'm bowling. Do you guys recall that? <laughs> I do. Yeah, I I do. I I mean, I'm very very fond. of that series mostly because it was uh, you know it was just from a different era i mean i i really do feel like that that was a, a lifetime ago <laughs> in many ways it was i i'll never forget so manoj prabhakar was uh, um, one of the last men to regularly open the batting and the bowling and um we had a a, a dear television presenter on the sabc called martin lock and um he had had never um he well the team was announced uh, for the first test match and um i can't remember who was uh, the the indian oh it was uh, it was um sunny by sonal gavaska was what well, he was uh, in the commentary box he was uh, the guest um opening the series and i remember martin lock saying what an extraordinary looking indian team uh sunny um they're funny playing two seamers and um sunny uh, took a, a a breath and um composed himself and said uh, well martin very often in my day we only played one seamer <laughs> and of course sonal gavaskar you said sonal gavaskar used to take the new ball himself didn't he and uh, have it knocked to the fence for a couple of overs and then uh, the four spinners came on or the three spinners um but i massively um fond memories of that manas prabhakar amazing uh, opened the bowling and the batting and did a very very good job as well uh, took runs and uh, and scored wickets um and do you remember it, it, the one thing about the port elizabeth test match which south africa won uh, with alan donald taking 12 wickets uh, was uh, in the second innings india were 31 for 6 and uh, kapil dev came out and scored 129 they were 31 for 6 uh, the game was going to be finished by the by the end of 3 days and um it was um it, you know it felt like a, a bit of a moon landing moment uh, for us in south africa particularly in the context of the series which had been so so slow um, my recollection for you know as the years went on afterwards I, i kept thinking he must have scored that 100 off about 70 balls in fact um he scored 129 off 170 balls but it was the fastest batting we'd ever seen um in in first class cricket of course we had adrian caper in south africa who was uh, famous um for for his his big innings but uh, yeah so um capel came out scored 129 uh, out of a, a total of 215 um which was just um cartoon hero stuff Yeah, Kapil has had quite a few cameos like that. You know, that was so him taking on the attack when chips were down. 
so now, gentlemen, let's come to that part of the uh, conversation where the Indian-South African relations change forever. Tendulkar's retirement or, you know, supposedly 200 tests uh, was, you know, supposed to be in South Africa, but then there was a series arranged with the West Indies, I would say hastily, to put it mildly. And uh, many Sachin fans also, you know, don't like how that uh, that series was arranged, but the great man deserved his farewell. So I'll go to Neil first, and then Vijay, I'm sure, has a lot to say. So is that the moment, right, when the honeymoon was over, right? India was part of the South African readmission, but it took, what, a good uh, 21, 22 years for the relationship, like many marriages, to go south? <laughs> uh, um, yeah, look, South Africa, um, those of us who are aware of the history know all too well that uh, the return to international cricket would never have happened when it did, had it not been for the support of uh, of India. Um, and uh, I, I think there's still a, a, a great warmth. Um, it's difficult to know how much of that warmth is generated by the vast amounts of money that uh, that India coming to South Africa generates and keeps the game alive um, in this country. Uh, but I think there is still uh, a, a huge amount of uh, respect and affection. Um, you know, uh, the current tour is more of a changing t- type of relationship to me, but that's purely because of the changing landscape of international cricket. Um, both teams uh, had a certain amount of kind of selectorial indifference to the T20 international series and even more so in uh, the ODIs. Uh, so everything is about these two test matches. This is the last mountain for Indian cricket to climb, I think, the last significant one anyway. They've they've scaled all the other mountains. They've won in every other country. And um, I, I, I think that uh, there'll, there'll be a, a certain sense of completeness if they can do it, which they should. I mean, they, they are a stronger team than South Africa. And I, I strongly fancy that this this will be their time. This will be their moment. It's uh, I think Rohit Sharma and Virat Kohli will, I think, regard it as career defining if uh, they can be part of the team that finally wins in South Africa. And I, I can't wait for those two test matches. Vijay, I'm sure uh, yeah. the Tendulkar 200 test uh, yeah. is a is a favorite. <laughs> Yeah, look, it's it's a very interesting thing because if you look at uh, South African cricket, uh, Steve uh, Swete, Swete, if I'm getting my name uh, pronunciation right, and then we had uh, uh, Chris McAdooj, and then we had Ali Bakar, right? These were the stalwarts. When South Africa came out of uh, hibernation, they had some really great leaders in the cricket board who were well-respected. Ali Bakar... Um, a Lithuanian Jew who had lived there uh, for a very long time from the 40s and 50s, captain, former captain of South Africa. He was a true leader because he took on uh, the South African uh, apartheid government in 1970 uh, uh, openly, like knowing very well he could be punished. So he was a man of, uh, you know, certain virtuous qualities. So when South Africa came back in 92, he was widely respected. He was able to talk to Jagmogan Dalmia in India and the the English-Australian traditional powerhouses. And he was able to make things happen. He was very popular. Um, And then Chris McAdooj, who was a very able leader, he even went to, if I'm right, to Japan as South African 
ambassador as well um, after 95 or 97 or 98. So they had some leaders, but I think Harun Logat was a bit of a problem. I think N. Srinivasan, who was the powerhouse of PCCI in the mid-2000s with the IPL and stuff, there were some genuine issues. I think the DRS, uh, ever since the introduction in Sri Lanka in 2008, India was the first team. After the Monkey Gate, they went there and they had some differences. They had their doubts. I think Harun Logat was pushing it as an ICC chief, um, which the Indian team wouldn't budge. And then there was this, uh, uh, you know, after the 2011 World Cup, the Lord Wolf Commission that was commissioned by him to uh, do the the whole thing. I think PwC, the big four, one of the big four, PwC did that, right? Uh, so it kind of talked about how cricket has to be administered differently by ICC, restructuring of the ICC executive board to make it independent. And he clearly said it has to be less dominated by bigger countries, which is i.e. India. Uh, and also they talked about, uh, you know, how the FTP was uh, played out because by then the FTP was more TV eyeballs driven. That means if India were to tour uh, a nation, a cricket nation would get a lot of revenue. So Harun Logat was uh, making these uh, changes, uh, if I could say that. And that didn't uh, sit well with the BCCI. So when the Tendulkar retirement happened, right, it was again, uh, he had retired from one day cricket. Um, Newlands was supposed to be his two in the test match. If I'm, re- if I'm right, Neil Manthop even wrote a piece saying Newlands should. Uh, pull all stops to make the 200 test a grand affair because it's a ground which is befitting for a great, great player to be retired from. But from a Tendulkar perspective, uh, he had to be kind of persuaded to retire because I would argue being a very big Tendulkar fan from 2011 after the Newlands test when he scored the 146, he's been on borrowed times. He hasn't scored a lot of runs. He had a poor tour of England, a good couple of good innings in Australia. So he was getting a lot of pressure from the team, from the sponsors and others to stick around while the fans and selectives are getting a bit impatient. I think Tendulkar decided, okay, I have to go, which means he wanted to do it at home because very interestingly, his mother had never seen him watch a game of cricket. Never. 200 test matches, his mother had never seen. He wanted his mum to come to the ground. Uh, he was very particular that uh, it has to be one K day so that she has got wheelchair access. So he had some things to do. I think he felt having played for India for 200 test matches for such a long period, you know, the BCCI and the country owed a bit to him. And I think it's a very fair request. But the problem is international cricket has got a schedule. Harun Logat has announced the, uh, you know, South African summer. BCCI argues that it was announced without checking and double checking with them. But we don't know what happened. Right? Whether Harun Logat agreed with BCCI and published it, then BCCI changed their mind because Tendulkar wanted a change. I don't know the ins and outs, but there was an RG Baji, right? So BCCI said, no, no, we're going to have West Indies. We're going to delay, which means we're not coming for the Boxing Day. And new test matches will come a bit later, which meant South African cricket was facing huge amount of losses because I know having lived in, I mean, having lived here for 15 years, I know a Boxing Day test, if it's not happening at MCG, that's going to cost Cricket Australia a lot of, you know, loss to the exchequer. And Cricket South Africa is not as rich as Cricket Australia. So it's a massive loss. So, but again, very interestingly, uh, Karen Tai, uh, I'm sure Neil knows who she is, right? Uh, she's a very famous uh, ABC grandson producer. She interviewed, she had interviewed Harsha Bogle uh, from India on radio when that, you know, test matches were getting swapped and they were setting up a one career test. She had asked a question, um, should India be, BCCI be initiating such a changes after a schedule was announced? Harsha gave a very interesting answer saying, in our culture, 
we give respect to people therefore tendulkar deserves a respect for having played for the country for so many years into a test matches so probably he he's allowed to go on his own terms and i think karen tai was very surprised with the follow up question saying harsha that's fine but what about south africa cricket south africa announces schedule and you ask him to reschedule which is not fair and harsha gave a bit of a wishy washy answer if i may say politically if i'm not politically incorrect so i think that's how it was perceived indians felt or the bcci and the indian fans felt and could deserve a farewell at home but you don't do it as a party pooper to somebody else who's who who who's who's uh, dependent on you for revenue not just that and it's a, it's an obligation international obligation very interestingly there was a bit of an argy bargy between gideon hague the cerebral cricket historian from melbourne and harsha bogle because uh, harsha wrote a piece very interestingly saying south africa has to find different revenue streams to offset the dependency on india i thought it was a bit of a Uh, a statement that lacked empathy and compassion and everyone knows indian domination bcci domination i think uh, gideon hague wrote a uh, piece saying harsha bogle h a r s h e r harsha bogle and he wrote and then gideon wrote there was a bit of a you know media circus going on between gideon and uh, harsha where gideon was trying to uh, you know see through and how south african cricket was represented better anyway uh, in my opinion um, that could have been better avoided had they planned better and india could have still uh, you know played in south africa on time while they could have still arranged a farewell for tendulkar if that's what he wanted so in my opinion that was a bit disappointing because uh, as a leader pcci could have done a better job a leader of the the free cricketing world like the united states leads in the nato and other efforts i think that was a bit disappointing but tendulkar had his own reasons and i think in the end south africans didn't have much to say because unfortunately they were more dependent on bcci than the other way around BJ just a couple of thoughts yeah just yeah, quickly sure. on on that um <clears throat> i think it's very very difficult uh, to try and manufacture a fairy tale ending in professional sport and i think i, I my feeling was that um uh it, it felt a bit awkward and and manufactured um it it uh, and and i think that uh, sachin although i was deeply moved by his speech his final speech after the after the his final test match i thought that was brilliant but um uh, it, there was a there was a, an an air of um plasticity and 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 a lack of authenticity to to the whole departure and uh, the nadir between the relationship uh, of between the cricket south africa and the bccai shrinivasan and lorgat actually came and you haven't mentioned this and i think you're probably being diplomatic but um lorgat's background of course is in accountancy and when he insisted on doing a thorough forensic audit of all the stadia before the 2011 world cup um in order to have a precise measure exactly on the revenue that might be generated by the tickets and how many seats exactly each stadium actually had in them um that uh was was the straw that that broke the relationships back between the two the two boards and that of course is why the following series was just two test matches because shrinivasan said we are coming for the bare minimum two test matches three odis and that's it then we're out of there yeah um, neil listen sorry neil there's an excellent point uh, so sakib to give it of a context see cricket australia right uh, here when australia hosts the world cup if you go to scg that's 45000 capacity two stands the bradman stand noble stand and the ladies and the members it's all members right so typically members they pay an annual fee they don't pay 
month, you know, for the game because they are given the whole years for the rest of their lives. They get tickets. When you host an ICC event, or I mean, Cricket Australia is forced to give up those member seats to general public so that you get forty thousand people's capacity. I think which annoys the members here at the MCG and SCG and Adelaide Oval because they're paying a lot of money, but they can't watch an ICC tournament. Commoners can go and sit at the Bradman Stand and Noble Stand and the ladies and members. Conversely, in India, 30-40% of the tickets go to the clubs and members and others. But even when they host an ICC World Cup, they still have to give those tickets, which means technically the revenue generated, let's say you have a 40,000 uh, MH at the Minimum Stadium in Chennai or one uh, Kede, still 30-40% of the seats go, which is still opaque. I think Harun Loga challenged the question saying, why not maximizing the ticket revenue? I think BCC argument is, I don't give a toss about what you're saying if I'm politically right, uh, polite, because I generate the maximum ICC revenue in terms of the TV, so better let me do what I want. I think that's where the whole confrontation, because Neil is right. Harun Loga wanted the ticketing to be transparent and more revenue to be generated for ICC. And BCC says, BCCI said that's a drop in the ocean. And that was a big, big issue between both the boats. And I think, Neil, it's a good point, And I'm aware of it, but I missed it. Yeah. All right. So I think uh, we should wrap in the next few minutes. I'll give Neil uh, a closing statement here. So, uh, so, Neil, it's pretty clear, like, that's the day when the relationship changed. So you think the 2017-2018 wondrous pitch you know, the complicated scenario, you think that's an extension or that's more like a modern day, uh, you know, visiting visiting nightmares for like each team uh, creates a surface that's best suited or you think there's a correlation, what happened there? I think that the relationship at board level has absolutely nothing to do with what happens on the pitch, to be completely honest. Um, I, I, I mean, the, the Harun Lorga, was in many ways um, a, a brilliant genius um, administrator on a financial level, but um, subsequent chief executives and and cricket South Africa boards have um, been forced to acquiesce at every turn and um, to do whatever they can to repair the level because South Africa cricket cricket South Africa and the game in this country is completely still utterly financially dependent on on indian tours incoming tours um and um we haven't mentioned uh the well i, I know that vj tweeted about this at, at the time but when angelo matthews was run out in the world cup there were a couple of us who remembered Saurav Ganguly taking six minutes to get to the crease to bat mm. in a test match at Newlands. And the umpires actually said to Graham Smith, uh, you can you can appeal. If you appeal, he's out. It's now been you know three minutes. It's been four minutes. It's been five minutes. And Smith refused to appeal. Um, and subsequently, when he became director of cricket a couple of years ago, um, and South African cricket literally was 350 million rand in debt on the point of bankruptcy. And Ganguly was president of the BCCI. Smith called him up and said, you owe me a favor. Can you come and play four T20s, please? Because we need the money. And Ganguly said yes. Um, but then COVID struck and the tour didn't happen. But, um, you know, Smith uh, said at the time, you know, you... You, you never know what's going to happen down the line. Don't burn your bridges if you can help it. Yeah, that's a brilliant yeah. way to, I think, end this podcast, Vijay, if you want to have a quick yeah. one, because Neil has Look, to go. You know, I think the real problem with that uh, Newlands 2006-07, that 
the pitch, uh, if you remember, it was a decider 1-1. It was a flat, subcontinental brown wicket, unlike the typical Newlands wicket. India scored 400, and South Africans were livid. Donald was doing commentary for the Indian star. He said... Graham Smith had the choicest of expletives about the pitch as a captain at the toss. But to credit to South Africa, they, you know, sucked it up and they handled the pressure, gave away a lead and still came back and, you know, won the test match. Sakib, one other point I would like to call out uh, before we wrap up is a lot many people wouldn't know a potch. A uh, potch is a, a small little, tiny little ground. When India went to uh, South Africa in 2006-07, they played a side game with uh, young Mone, Mokal and others played. Greg Chappell was the coach. Graal Dravid was the captain. Tendulkar and Virendra Sevak failed after having a poor one-day series in that game. At the end of the game, in the dressing room, Greg Chappell apparently gave a big dressing down to both Sevak and Tendulkar in front of everyone. You know, culturally, it was not going to be easy. And probably Raul Dravid, the way he handled it wasn't great or he couldn't help. And on that, that was the moment with the last... Straw broke the camel's back as far as Tendulkar, Sevag, and some of these players trust with Greg Chappell. So I know we don't have time to go over it, but that was that happened on the South African soil. You could say there are a lot of moments when the Greg Chappell's relationship broke down. But that was one moment that happened in a small town called Poch. Poch, Poch, Poch how do you pronounce it, Neil? <laughs> Correct? Pochefstrom. 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 Yeah. So that's a place where it happened before the test match. Famously, India won the Wanderers just with Srishant doing really well. But unfortunately, India lost the, the Kingsmead and the Newlands test to surrender the series 1-2. Yeah, that's a, that's a very interesting interesting thing about the Indian cricket history on South African soil. But that requires a separate part by itself, I would Absolutely. say. Absolutely. Hi, Neil, it was uh, terrific as with not to, you know, trying to cut Vijay over because I know you have a deadline. Uh, We'd definitely love to host you again. It was as terrific as expected. I hope we did some justice to your time. Absolutely. Uh, It's been great fun. I'm looking forward to part two. Uh, Maybe we should do a a review of uh, the two test matches and see whether my prediction of an Indian victory uh, comes true. But we shouldn't end uh, without... uh, There'll be people listening to this uh, thinking... They're not going to mention the Wondrous Test match in 13-14 when South Africa finished on 450 for seven with Fuff yes. Duplessis and A.B. de Villiers making 100. That was one of the great Test matches of all time and it was followed by an almost, almost well, not quite as exciting, but uh, it was Jacques Callis's last Test match. Do you remember that South Africa would have been a world record by by? 30 runs chasing 458 and they called the test uh, the chase off at 450 for seven um zahir and ishan both took uh, four wickets um and and uh dale stain was was the guy it was his decision um he's only it took him years and years and years to admit it he was at the crease and it was his decision to call off the chase um and he then hit the last ball for six and he said we'll win in durban i didn't want Jacques to go out with a drawn series. We'll win in Durban. And then India batted first at Kingsmead when they were 198 for one. And Dale Steyn didn't take a wicket throughout the Joburg Test match and had bowled 20 overs without taking a wicket. It was it's something like 400 balls he'd bowled without taking a wicket. Um, and he finished with six for 100. India were bowled out for 334. South Africa made 500. Jark scored 100 in his last test match, and they did win it. I mean, that that was just... Yeah, there are great memories in every single one of these series. And uh, I think, as I said, India will have the best one of all uh, if uh, things go according to plan. 
Sorry, there you go. Neil himself endorsed it. There's going to be a sequel to this podcast. Uh, we'll work out a menu. We'll talk about the folks we didn't talk about, the South African greats, the De Villiers, the Donalds, you know, and so on else. So thank you both for managing these multiple and challenging time zones. And I know, Neil, you have a cricketing duty to to work on. And Vijay, uh, it's probably very late in Sydney. And I have a day to resume here on Sunday morning. So let's do a sequel pretty soon, maybe after the test series. Thank you both. Thank, Thank you. you. We'll chat in the new year. Happy yes. New Year.